welcome to Unraveling Midlife. I'm your host, Sarah Spence. Thanks for joining me, and if you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're not new to the show, welcome. Unraveling Midlife is loosely based on astrological midlife, relating to Western astrology transits that run from the mid-30s to the mid-40s for everyone. Each of these four main midlife transits have an overall theme, though details do vary by generation and of course by individual, Uh, and episode 9 covers a lot of that. So really, I'm here talking to you, whoever you are, (laughs) uh, because I'm in my astrological midlife and I'm unravelling it. The name of the podcast comes from an article written by Brene Brown, the midlife unraveling and it really touched me and I was very grateful to the friend who shared it with me and that was around the beginning of my astrological midlife which uh, which I was finding a little challenging that uh, that particular Pluto square uh, and, and here we are with the podcast and so far most episodes have been interviewing someone I find really interesting <laughs> It's my podcast, so I can do that. I choose people I think are cool, I'd like to talk to, uh, and a lot of other people have feedback that they're enjoying them too. But I'm mixing up the show a little bit these days, uh, and I mean, this is actually still an interview, um, but it's an interview of me. So I featured recently on the Radical Awareness podcast, hosted by John and Nicole Allen, and you'll hear about how we know each other a little bit later. It was quite interesting reflecting on the content of what you're about to hear, uh, because it really focused quite a lot on when I lived in Auckland and that Auckland-based yoga and kirtan chapter of my life, which was before astrological midlife and I moved out of the city, etc. I'm pretty sure... And just a note on a glossary, I'm pretty sure the majority of the people who land on this podcast and actually press play will have heard of yoga. Um, And though kirtan is getting better known, I'll define it for you anyway. It's another Sanskrit word, kirtan, spelt K-I-R-T-A-N, and various people do pronounce it differently. Uh, And it means joyful chanting. Really, to me, it's singing mantra, there's another term for the glossary, mantra. You probably know that word. <laughs> um, and it's the music aspect of yoga is kirtan. It's generally done in a call and response fashion. So someone leads and sings a line and then everyone sings back. So it can be quite simple. It may be a little bit more complex, uh, but it's accessible to anyone. Even if you think you can't sing, you can still practice kirtan and of course there'll be reflections around how you feel about your voice, whether you've got a great voice or a um, you think it's not so great, uh, you may have issues around that that you need to deal with and you may just have a lovely blissful experience during and after because that's what many people report who keep practicing kirtan. If I were to introduce myself like I have the other guests that I've had, Kirtan would definitely feature, but so do a lot of other modalities these days, um, such as Dream Yoga and the Dalian Method, which are both quite alive for me right now. 
Uh, and I wanted to let you know I'll be leading a Delving Into Dreams online three-part course in June. It uses reflection, writing, basically, on symbology, finding your own symbology for dream symbols, and we'll also use an embodied breath method, and it's quite it's a bit physical as well, to delve into what your waking or sleeping dream is telling you. Or, and, and kind of getting that connection with your intuition, um, finding out what your next steps are. And Yashodra Ashram's dream yoga method is the reflection part, um, and the Dalian method is the embodied method uh, that I mentioned. It's the best tool that I've found to gain inner clarity when I can't get it easily myself, and that does really help in the dream space. The course is three Monday nights, New Zealand time, starting the 13th of June, 2022. Uh, and you can use the discount code DREAMS. Kind of helps if you put it in all caps, caps lock. Capital letters DREAMS, and you'll get 25% off. So here we go, on to the interview, and a very happy new moon in Gemini to you. Alright, hello and welcome to another episode of the Radical Awareness Podcast. We have a very special guest on the show today. The Someone we've known a long time. Yes, yeah. yes. The, the beautiful, wonderful Sarah Spence, who's here today to chat to us about her awareness journey. Um, Sarah also has a podcast, it's Unraveling Midlife, so she has been delving into those conversations a lot also recently but we know her through our uh, yoga connection and she has uh, been with us for the purpose of teaching people about kirtan and leading kirtan and all of the wonderful things that come with the realm of bhakti yoga she has a very beautiful voice and mm. holds a very magical space if you haven't um, done kirtan with sarah i highly recommend it it's very 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 special so we're really grateful we've had those experiences in person with you, Sarah, because it's always very special. And you're, you're trained in singing as well, is that right? Yeah, I studied classical voice kind of part-time through like high school, university, and then in my 20s. Mm. Mm. Really adds to the um, experience. It does. Mm. <laughs> but uh, we'll start, as we pretty much always do, with the, the, the question about you. And can you tell us about your journey to awareness, your journey greater to greater awareness? awareness. I found the phrasing quite interesting, the journey to awareness, uh, because where is awareness? Where is it a destination? And I, I personally don't think so. And it's an ever evolving uh, beast sometimes, um, <laughs> roller coaster, a nice slide down the playground sometimes, because that's life. Um, it, it, it is up and down. And yeah, my, my podcast, Unraveling Midlife, just the title kind of... Um, it's life is unraveling the journey mm. to awareness is kind of I guess unraveling ourselves uh, unraveling myself gaining more awareness about life and emotion and other things that kind of come through and creating more observation of that mm. rather than identification with it mm. Mm. Doesn't mean I feel like I'm any good at it, even though I sound quite confident. I'm like the <laughs> witness part of me is going, "Wow, you sound like you know what you're talking about." 
because I woke today and I was like, I feel really melancholy today. What's what's the point of my life again? You know, like oh, that's yeah. the kind of stuff that that happens and we don't necessarily talk about. And and I know that uh, that I have a tendency to want to go. Oh, but everything's okay. Um, so I guess that is part of my journey to awareness is starting to become aware of that and being able to move through it towards more self-acceptance and I believe that that's what midlife is about. Probably should uh, add in there that the midlife that I'm talking about unraveling is related to astrological midlife so whereas especially as you get older your definition of midlife kind of pushes out and pushes out and and I did have someone say is your podcast about menopause and I'm like no <laughs> no my podcast is not about menopause I mean occasionally it comes up because I do like to interview um wise women who have been through midlife themselves um so occasionally it comes up but really astrological midlife is um those four transits of the planets coming into interaction to where they were in your birth chart. So it happens for everyone from the mid 30s to mid 40s. It might start at 35 for someone and 37 or 38 for someone else. It might finish at, I don't know, 43 or 45. Mine, I'm in the middle of the four, these four transits. Um, I'm 43, but my kind of biggie isn't actually until next year. So mine goes out a little bit later than mm. some other people's. And it just depends because some planets move faster than others at different times. Um, it's quite fascinating, but that's my astrological geek coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The journey to awareness, I guess, for spirituality and awareness started for me when I read the Celestine prophecy when I was 16. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people started off in that if they found that in the, um, well, ever since the mid-90s when it came out. Uh, and then once I went to university, finished university, I ended up uh, working over in Canada as a hiking guide <laughs> with Japanese tourists. But I also, I found a yoga ashram over there and that's where my journey with um, chanting uh, continued. I was also studying classical voice and I found chanting at this ashram and we chanted every night in the temple of divine light which is in Yashodra ashram in western Canada and I didn't know what we were chanting. It was all the Sanskrit. What does this mean? Though we did chant in English as well. Well it's more like singing. It just felt to me like singing and mm. there was something about that and then I went to live in Ottawa to do some work and I lived in a place run by a teacher from the ashram and I used to wake up to her chanting every morning it was quite magical and that's when I got involved with uh, with kirtan but we called that bhajan and it wasn't until I'd lived overseas and other places looked at a few other ashrams and come back to New Zealand. I'd lived in the ashram in Canada for a year uh, before I came back and I was in the, we called it the elastic band, playing in the temple with, with the bhajans. Um, and when I came back to New Zealand and got involved with a kind of a cousin tradition here, um, that was kirtan as mm. we know it in Auckland with kind of simple call and response and yeah, really getting into that kind of speeding up and, and less kind of churchy sweet, which was what we used to sing at yeah. the ashram in Canada. So yeah, with that yoga background and starting to have that awareness and music brought so much reflection because yeah. by then I'd done, at university, I'd started teaching myself guitar because I did a music paper, which was the best, best 
best. I studied IT and Japanese, so <laughs> the music paper was really cool. <laughs> um, and and then writing music, so songwriting as well, as playing the kirtan and then getting involved uh, with other groups doing kirtan. There was one in, in Hamilton, uh, that they're still there, and I actually did some chanting with those guys the last couple of weekends. Um, uh, yeah, just singing just makes makes me happy. Mm. And so the added bonus of the layer of Sanskrit, these really sacred sounds that have had scientific experiments to show effects mm. on sand, for example, is some research that's been done, uh, really is hugely uplifting. And uh, Swami Shivananda of Rishikesh, who was kind of the grandfather of the couple of traditions I've been involved in, always said that sun kirtan, singing kirtan, is the fastest way to enlightenment, mm. um, yeah. especially in India where there were historically where a lot of people who didn't necessarily read or write mm. I do have quite I'm kind of rekindling um, a passion at the moment for doing the more wordy Sanskrit chants because oh, cool. they have a different effect and mm. there's a certain point where they click in and I go oh it's like when you're doing a yoga class I found about 20 minutes my nervous system goes oh yeah <laughs> I accept yeah <laughs> yeah and I'm finding that again with the chanting and uh, so that's been really cool yeah so the journey to awareness through through the kind of yoga living in the ashram in Canada I went to India uh, didn't live extended time in India I wasn't that keen on getting sick. I did spend some time in a couple of ashrams in Australia as well. Um, and then moved off from yoga towards Flower Essences, the Medicine Woman of School of Shamanic and Esoteric Studies, um, mm. where I still do some courses, so more the Western, as well as having immersed earlier in the Eastern. Um, got into astrology, started uh, learning that. Uh, that kind of came off into unraveling midlife the podcast yeah. uh, and at the same time I've been really getting into um, an amazing healing methodology called the Dalian method uh, which is a self-healing mm -hmm. method that you can actually work on yourself to kind of shake out uh, the core beliefs that have kind of impacted in different areas um, of the body but also impact emotional mental as well and uh, yeah worked with the creator and learning the facilitation of that as well so as that in sounds... shake out as in like actually using your body to shake like sort of trauma relief that is part of it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that is Amazing. definitely a part of it mm. yeah it is it's very embodied it's not a talking therapy it's not an energy work it's uh transforming and she can actually see the thought forms in people's yeah. bodies so she created a method from her background in um more active meditations and through the chakra system, through breathing, mm -hmm. through um, expressing to kind of slough off those layers. And honestly, like, people have had incredible, incredible results, both mm -hmm. physically. For me, it's been more kind of like mental, emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, I had really bad PMS and I've always struggled with it. Um, and <laughs> I went to her. And, yeah, I know <laughs> talking. It's not it's not menopause, but there's a PMS. Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But I, they got to a point where I had this awareness and I'm like, this isn't me. What is going on? I'm, mm. it's not me. This is, it feels like something's just invading me for oh, um, a week, yeah. every month. And I was like, 
I've had it. I'm willing to try anything. And uh, a friend I'd worked with in Canada had mentioned the Dalian method a while ago, years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, here's another thing. Um, but then I was actually ready to go, okay, I'm ready to try it now. And she told me her experience and her mother, whose uh, cancer results, like her recovery from having a blood transfusion as part of that was incredible. So, I, okay, I'm ready to try it. And I tried it. Uh, and she said, okay, here's your homework. There's always homework. You've got yeah. to integrate into your life. And she said in four months' time, um, it, sh it should have lifted. And I was like, okay, four months. Wow, I'm not used to that. You're used to going to a session with someone. And they go, oh, yeah, there you go. But then you feel a bit better and nothing really kind of changes. Oh, sure. And I found until I had that experience of at three months going, nothing's really changed. And at four months, oh, my God, it's gone. And I've never wow. had it come back. Well, well, I, mean, I, I still get PMS, but it's like I get a bit grumpy. Like it's like normal PMS. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And did you yeah. just have a lot of physical pain? Is that what we're talking? No, that was wasn't. Like the... Mine was um, a mental emotional thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it's, it's just so interesting to hear you say those really words is. because. Yeah. In my own journey of this, I've always said, this is not me. I feel like I'm being, it's just bizarre to hear yeah. that, you know, the 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 connection of what that is and, and talking about kind of the thought forms around it and the sort of collective pain that we're all carrying. And it does, I feel like as it's coming, it's like something else is coming through me and then I have to experience this, yeah, horrendous pain and, and um, everything each month. So really interesting to hear that and the, the correlations yeah. for sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a group experience when um, when someone someone in the house is in pain, right? It it really it, it affects more than just um, the human who's in pain. It's it's really it's debilitating for the for the whole. Um, so it's such a gift to be able to to be able to, to to take awareness to that and kind of transform it. Interesting though, eh? Like it is a huge part of like of our awareness journeys is mm. the kind of, it's the discomfort, right? It's the pain that we've experienced and then we go and do those things and try them and then it opens up our perception and our world again, which then opens up our awareness again. And it's kind of like fascinating um, how we label things. And I know from my own journey of, the, of pain and, and the discomfort of it all and all the directions it takes you and the amount of times it's like, this will be the thing that makes it go away or changes it. And it's like, I get so hopeful and then there's like a shift and then you're looking for all of the subtle movements and changes but in the same way as it, it might still come back but then there's a whole different um version of reality because the awareness has changed again and we like to refer to it being like a spiral you know we're always mm -hmm. going around a spiral and the spiral is going up and changing but your perception on all of the things you were kind of given to experience sort of changes so it's yeah it's all really very interesting mm. i've always thought of that as a spiral for sure like you get the <laughs> same issue and you're like oh here it is again but i do see it slightly differently yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i am a little Something's bit wiser happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're eternally optimistic you know <laughs> yep, yeah absolutely mm. <laughs> mm. yeah so as you are now you know in your life what when it comes to kind of our awareness or whatever we call it, you know, being more spiritual or awake or awakened, whatever it is, what do you find are like your tools and practices? Obviously we've spoken about singing and I think that sound, you know, sound, singing, vibration, chanting, and we can look at that idea of somatics is so powerful, but do you kind of have things that you do daily or is it more like a, you sort of tail your tool, tail? Taylor. 
tailor, thank you, your tools <laughs> to um, when you need them. You know, depending on, like you say, you woke up this morning and things aren't feeling so good and that kind of feeling of, oh my gosh, what's the purpose of my life? Which I also very much relate to. Um, <laughs> Well, what's your I think, process? Well, you I know? think there's a theme right now with the state of current events that that's yes. kind of across Agreed. the board yeah. for everyone in a slightly different way from a slightly different angle. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would love to just sit here and say, well, you know, ever since I started my daily practice of two sun salutations and then got into mantra that I've been so good and I've sat down every single morning and done I mean there was a chat I remember being on the plane back from India and I was doing a daily mantra practice and I was trying not to fall asleep so I could finish my mantra practice with my mala sitting on <laughs> Singapore Airlines um, and then I beat myself up about the fact that I fell asleep and I didn't finish it <laughs> um, but I think the reality is that life is life and at the moment, I have a, a daily practice. Yay! But there's been Yay! a long time where I've felt like it wasn't really a daily practice, but it, it, it kind of was, but maybe it wasn't. And then if I did like, oh, but three times a week, I did like an hour and a half something. That kind of, there's, the mind is a tricky, tricky thing. So at the moment, yes, but does that mean it will be every day for the rest of my life I, I somehow doubt it mm. yeah so I mean I, I guess it's just actually when you first started talking about the awareness journey and and getting into spirituality and things I guess I, I got jaded at a point and I yeah. felt like you know there was the first flush of whoa oh this is incredible and then life keeps going and life keeps going. And then I see these people that come to conscious festivals, for example, and they're brand new and they're so excited about oh, this, that and the other. <laughs> and they're like, oh, tell me about blah, 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 blah. And I go, uh-huh, well, I've been coming for 15 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people <laughs> come and go. I've seen these festivals start up. I've taught Kirtan to someone who's started one of these festivals you know it's it's a different very different perspective um to the people that are coming in like all, all fresh and I remember back I don't know how many years ago maybe it's about 12 years ago someone in a similar position to me saying oh I'm finding it so hard to do my daily practice and I haven't done it for ages and thinking oh my god she doesn't do her daily practice I can't ever imagine that happening to me that's <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful you know <laughs> I mean let's be real yeah. like life is life and I'd I'd love to be one of those people who could just go oh yeah I, I when I stress out I go and practice I'm still working on that sometimes yes but other times you know I'll be right into that packet of chocolate biscuits you know so <laughs> and I would just I'd love to meet the person who really does every time go to the practice you know yeah. this it is I think it is just such a, a whole lot of spiritual bypassing and that it's like this kind of shiny all I ever do is my practice. I never lean into anything else because I'm in the, it's like the, um, the superiority, super, yeah. superior complex. Superiority you complex. You said it right the first time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the um, spiritual world, you know, of like, well, we're better because we, we've done these things mm. as opposed to, it's, it is just life, right? Like we're all kind of navigating and I just love hearing you 
talk about it because I remember I was exactly the same. You know, came in, I'm like, daily practice, and I'm just, this is my diet, and these are my things. And, and the same thing, you meet these other people, and we're kind of like, oh, yeah. And you're like, well, you obviously haven't found the right practice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and now, it's hilarious. It's like, even in, like, the recent weeks, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm practicing, like, yoga asana, like, maybe once a week. I can't even believe I'm saying it, you know. And I was like, it's more often than me. Yeah, yeah right. And, <laughs> and, and I taught regularly for like yeah. six oh, years. It's only because John's teaching a class that I attend, you know. <laughs> and this moment of, you had these stages, right, of reflection of, but why was I doing it initially? And I'm like, no, there was a point that I started and I had, you had this amazing euphoric experience. And then it's kind of like, it becomes complacent or you're doing it because you've made yourself do it. And then it's lost the sacredness of everything and then we start to exactly judge and project onto others and when you're teaching yoga like I said, or running trainings there's this expectation and then it sort of falls away and so then you're in your own guilt spiral right because everyone projects it onto you what you're doing and you're like yeah yep I'm meditating all the time I'm not <laughs> at all <laughs> and uh and then just even in the last like week I was like oh no I do want to practice asana each morning even just for half an hour like I actually think I'm a better person and then, you know, starting it again in a different way. But it is like that spiral. And I think the greatest thing about it is the humility. To me, you have so much humility. And we've seen you at many festivals and things. And you always have so much humility, so much grace. It's never felt, you know, this kind of egoic, um, mm. I've been doing all these things. You don't have to have it all signposted or all over you. And it's kind of one of the most beautiful qualities about you is that you are just in your life and human and exploring and the word I think is unraveling, right? Like unraveling what's there, but with this, this natural grace of like, I'm not anything different to anybody else. These are my experiences and this is what I'm, I'm working with. So it's, I think it's a really valuable conversation for a lot of people to hear and to understand because, you know, even if you've just been in it for a few years, this is when you start putting that pressure. And then there's a grief cycle. Did you notice that, that first sort of wave of grief? Can you talk to that at all? Oh. <laughs> and what were, just... the things, what were the things that you grieved? Like what was the, was it the experience afterwards? Was it the fact that you weren't in the same routine? Was it? You weren't the person you thought you were going to be. Mm -hmm. I think what springs to mind was, and while you were talking before, is that people putting others on a pedestal and I remember the first time I put a teacher on a pedestal and it didn't meet my expectations. Mm. And I was going through a rough time. I was after the GFC. I'd been to India. There just wasn't any work. Like, like really good workers were all on the dole. Like it was 2009. And... Um, and I was teaching a few yoga classes, thank goodness, or I might have become an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> that had crossed my mind. <laughs> um, so, so I wasn't seeing things particularly clearly, um, but I did recognize that when, that I'd put someone on a pedestal and that that person was human. And then later on, I realized that I could see some other people putting me on a pedestal. Mm. So I've always tried, well, tried. Um, yeah, I've always used humour and maybe not being as holier than thou 
in a lot of situations because since then I don't want people mm. to kind of have unrealistic expectations. I mean, possibly, quite possibly that happens anyway. Um, but everyone's got their own journey with that. Mm. So, yeah, I think there was a point where I stopped teaching yoga so much and a lot of my friends were people that used to be yoga teachers. Um, yeah, the, the, and then the switch in the last few years since I moved out of Auckland and there wasn't, I would have had to have been very, very focused to start to to teach it's it's never been my full-time thing or my I, I love it mm. but I did quite enjoy the few years where I covered for my friend once a month that worked really well for me yeah. um, and then I moved out of Auckland and I barely taught and now I've realized I don't even identify as a yoga teacher anymore and it was such a big part of my identity so I think identity really comes into mm. it who we identify as and for a long time, it was it was Kirtan. I was in a, a music group, uh, Shakti Sacred Music, that was about six years. Um, and that was just before Kirtan started to like boom in Auckland. So now a lot of the people that practice Kirtan have no idea, never heard of Shakti, don't know who me and the other people who, who were in there. Like it's, you know, we've kind of faded into the amazing history of um, especially female Kirtanists in mm. Auckland of who there are an amazing, I um, I interviewed Joshna Latrobe on my podcast and she, she's been singing Kirtan in Auckland since the 80s. Wow, you know, like yeah, and, and who is that? <laughs> and and, my, and the last the last one to come out was with Karen Hunter. Like people know oh, her yeah. as a musician, but mm. she also did quite a bit of chanting at um, that Ashtanga, the Auckland Yoga Academy, the Ashtanga oh, place yeah, in yeah. town. Yeah. Um, probably just before I came back from overseas. So we've all kind of there's there's been lots. There's a, a we should do a documentary on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we really should because it has been a little bit derailed let's say and definitely has a different um vibe which you know i'll park here a lot of people who are listening know my feelings on this and uh it did <laughs> yeah so the last um last month or so i've been going and playing um kirtan with uh with kailash who runs Srinivasa yoga house in hamilton and it's it's tiny like he, mm. he it's his house he opens it up for classes he's spent a lot of time in india um and he comes from this incredible musical family um like his brother was a professional cellist and he's got a sister that's a professional singer they were all well his mm. niece who was in shakti with me <laughs> um, yeah. but um we love playing music together he's an excellent drummer he's got a great voice we're just singing together with him we both really really enjoy it and it's such a small little thing but it's quite different i think because of the indian tradition like there's I mean sure we still sound western like we try our best with Sanskrit pronunciation but that can be quite tricky mm. um I mean he's lived in India for a while um I've tried my best with the with the like if there's an n with a dot underneath and a thing an n with a thing on top and like you know the same like there's four <laughs> different types of s's um yep. all, <laughs> all of those that. tongue positions <laughs> all, all those tongue positions where I did a course once and went wow I don't even feel like I can try and say or say, chant Sanskrit anymore because I know that I'm mucking it up. Um, and then I kind of see someone doing something live on Facebook and they're having a great time and introducing heaps of people to chanting and that's fabulous. And I just go, oh, it just sounds a bit rock 
for me. Like mm. it's what's why why is it different? It just doesn't have that same kind of Indian y kind of quality. And it's not that I'm hardcore want to like kind of like that bit in the middle where it's a little bit Western, a little bit Indian. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a feeling. Um yeah, I mean, it, it just matches it some people and it doesn't for others. Like yeah. yeah. It is hard. I mean, there's, you know, there's this real sacred aspect to it. I know for myself or us in our experience of partaking, because we would never lead, we're really not singers. Um, <laughs> it is such an inward journey, right? And, you know, so much Kutan, there is this, there is a very much um, connected community vibe to it, but it's very internal. Like for me, I really don't want to interact with anybody else if I'm at Kirtan but I want to be around people but it's such an inward experience and such a heart I mean it's so bhakti it's such a heart-centered experience of just I don't think there's anything else that has exploded my heart as much as chanting in that way with others but with in some circles, it is. It seems more about what everyone is doing, and it seems a little bit more external. And it kind of feels like what you're talking about is the difference between how can we be together and still be here, and then how are we together? But it's about being out here and look at what I'm doing and where I'm at. And I guess that also just is a reflection of where different people are on their journeys. You know, of that as we come into this kind of spiritual world, it is still external. It is still based on external validation because that's the world we're unraveling from. That is the conditioning that we've existed in of like, no, but my validation is out here. And even though as we're seeking and we're sort of um, curious about these other practices, we're still trying to get it out here. And then over time, you're like, oh, I think it's all in here, right? Like this is the magic. This is where I want to be. And so maybe it is, I have thought about some of the, the, the Kirtan scenes that exist currently and some of the yoga movements that exist in, in New Zealand and Auckland as, as the bridge, right, of coming out of that kind of external world into the more internal experience where you realize that it's just here and it's actually the path of humility. But to look at some of the ways it's presented right now, it seems the complete opposite to humility. And without actually, it's not necessarily judging or saying it's bad, it's just like an intermediate step towards coming home to here, you know, like that level of awareness. That's what it feels like to me and kind of what I feel like I'm hearing from you but and it seems like historically that is the role of the festival that seems like what happened at Woodstock if we could call that the kind of the the birthplace of this movement connected to connecting yoga to the festival vibe that that was what it was all about this bridge into spirituality for these people who come to see rock music especially in the case of Woodstock and then they get a they get a sermon from a swami they get this this little bit of a peek into the spiritual world and they go hey maybe I can walk in that direction maybe it is acceptable for me to be a white person in this world and start walking in that direction and that the unfortunate addition from this perspective of social media and seeing everything via imagery and photography is that there's a real effort to portray it from a visual perspective so often because people are staging photographs people are promoting themselves with photographs and then everyone arrives thinking they need to portray themselves as this image and then are constantly checking on their image and then maybe get image and presentation of image obsessed it mm. seems to be that's something that i personally notice particularly attach the festival scene 
thoughts and feelings there? Yeah, that's an interesting one, seeing that I don't necessarily come from that, like I've never been that great on doing the social media and getting the the photos. Um, I often find, you know, after 15 years of um, being involved in conscious festivals, there was kind of like a, a high point where I seemed to feature in quite a few photos and then maybe I wasn't friends with the photographers after that and it's kind of lucky if I kind of like see myself in the corner. Um, <laughs> I was having a conversation with this the other day with a few people. Um, it just happened to coincide with probably around that time where um, where I hit about the 35 mark and I stopped being featured in the photos. I mean, I might just be... be <laughs> I numbers. love this correlation. I yeah. think it's very valid. <laughs> well, it might have been a little later than that, but um, I did kind of find that interesting now looking back, especially with the whole unravelling midlife um, mm -hmm. and midlife astrological transits. I'm like, mm, okay, that's interesting. And, and exploring that youth worship culture that we have mm -hmm. as well. And, and I've noticed that in the Conscious Festival scene, um, it has become a lot younger. When I got into the conscious festivals, I was, I don't know, 27. And I was really, really young mm. <laughs> for the scene that was there at Prana Festivals at the time. Mm. Um, in terms of, in terms of, um, of, of Kirtan, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a feeling you're attracted to something or you're not. I do find that there's, that there's some that is um, that's really popular right now. That's very, very, you know, there's these basics. Almost sounds like Christian rock, but in Sanskrit. Mm, yeah, there's yeah. that. Um, and it's not to say that it's not respectful and inward and hard. It's just not. It just doesn't gel on on some point. I also do find the groups um, that. seem to have dogma attached um, aren't my cup of tea either like mm. if I'm I prefer to have an all comers kirtan where anyone can contribute what they want um, but there are some people go no you have to do these specific mantra and it, it just feels a bit fundamentalist for for what I like and and they're more than welcome to do what they will but it's not really my scene Mm. Mm. We like mm. that. We, that, that uh, we have this phrase we use a lot in our teach trainings. It's one of our principles. It's called inclusion to empowerment. Mm. And that if you start from this place of inclusion, you're much more likely to reach more people and lift more people up rather than exclusion to disempowerment. Mm. Mm. It's hard though, you know, like with um, these types of practices and, and yoga and, you know, the sort of dance and balance of honoring tradition and respecting tradition and lineage and understanding all of these things. And so it becomes quite a complex discussion or even understanding. And so it is about honoring just what feels right, like being able to trust our own, which is why why awareness is so imperative and important because you're filtering it through yourself. You're then like, well, I can just discern and I don't necessarily need to discredit anything else. Mm -hmm. I just know it's not for me. But I think for a lot of people, when you're first entering into the world, it's so confusing because it's like, well, what's traditional? And you kind of trust whatever you hear. And then the more you study, the more you understand. It's like, well, it's not as black and white as that. And the traditions and lineages of yoga, as all three of us know very well, is very complex. And so when I hear people who have been there for, you know, two years being like, well, this is the tradition. I'm like, okay, maybe, right? I hear you. And I know that your own low self-worth and journey is kind of leaning into the fact that you need tradition to feel okay with what you're doing. But 
actually, if you learn to stand here, you can take these parts and still offer it in an inclusive way. So it's, but that in itself, right, is so much learning and so much awareness to get there. And, and we all want to be like, no, but there's this tradition that makes us feel safe and secure to know. Um, but yoga lineage is a curious one. Can I tack something onto I that just... before you go? Is can you also, and maybe they connect and maybe they don't, talk about the the moment, the thing that happened that brought your teacher down off the pedestal for you? Like what was the oh, thing? Double barrel question. What Look, was the she's... thing that brought them down? And do those things relate? And maybe they don't, but um Um <laughs> <laughs> That teacher who was also a friend, just in general, has an inability to say no and will talk around the point and around the point and around the point. And I think that's just specific to that person that just can't say no straight out um, and and yeah it has driven me mad a few times in the interim but I've just come to accept that's just that person and how they work so um, yeah maybe that wasn't so much of a teacher thing but that I put my friend on a pedestal who happened to be my teacher that, right, that yeah. may have been that um, other pedestals I feel that I've observed is I prefer um, female teachers. I've mm. seen a lot of male yoga leaders fall off um, and yeah, um, and be accused of a lot of abuse. Um, so I'm hashtag not all men, but I have always personally felt more comfortable with, mm. with female teachers because there's not that kind of um, it's a man hormonal kind of difference yeah. between um, I think the, the, the trap for the male having taught young men yoga in our teacher trainings and watch this interesting thing happen is that there's a real kind of take action masculine drive that sits in behind something that is so it's such a narrow band of um walking this line that's so easily derailed into ego, into very um, kind of the power of this new thing that they've learned that they want to share becomes this power that's so easily held over people. And then if you're not doing the self-awareness gain on a regular basis and checking yourself and Jeez. having people check you back, um, then then you, you don't recognize it in yourself. And I think so often, I was actually, I used to teach um, at another studio and one of the students was talking to me about a teacher that we had trained who was a man, who she had been to his classes and she kind of was talking about him in this, ah, oh, it's nice, like, he thinks he knows what he's talking about and everybody knows that he doesn't because he's so new, but we all just let him get away with it and it's okay. And, and I think this is, the, this is the issue because that person wasn't going, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. They were just letting him have his time. I have observed, and not just me, I discussed this with, with other female yoga teachers, that there is an inherent bias in our society that that men are, you know, they're doing their best, but women, oh, well, they're not doing very well at all. And they might've done exactly the same thing. So Agreed. we've got this inherent bias in society um, where 
male, let's say, yoga teachers, everyone goes, oh, they're so amazing. And so I go, okay, I'll go and check out this class. Oh, yeah, it's good, but there's, you know, equally good, if not better, other yoga teachers that happen to be female. And I'm like, so why were people fawning over this male yoga teacher? And it's, I can think of a couple of different examples. Yeah. Like, is it just because they were they were men and, and as women, the women grow up going, well, men are, are better? And it just, it's never said like that, but it's just inherent. And I know that we've come a long way from um, where we were before, but it's a process where... Um, journeying to awareness on this topic as a society right mm. so yeah yeah I think that just in general if you look at like even pop music I don't know I prefer female vocals and mm. yeah there's some great female singers but in general the music people play around is often male vocals like mm-hmm. and I, I haven't done a scientific study it's just my <laughs> personal anecdotal observation I think another interesting thing on that is the um, the teacher, the like the school teacher, the primary school teacher in particular. That so many of um, my friends who are male who have studied and to become a primary school teacher, they're they're set right. They're like, oh, you're a male teacher, you're guaranteed to get a job because there's just not very many of you. So you're like rarer. So all of a sudden you're better because you're male. So. It's just the rarity, the scarcity elevates someone to something more than what they are just because of the scarceness of it. Even if it's not really that scarce, there's just a perception of scarcity. They're so right. We just do not hold, I mean, I just want to speak into yoga. Like it's yeah. like, we just do not hold the male teachers as accountable as the yeah. females. It's, I mean, we've had many conversations with men where I'm like, <laughs> you can either like get humble right now or you're going to go off and become a dickhead like that's i have literally said those things or it'll happen in the other order you're going to go off and become a dickhead and then you might get humble i have seen it there are teachers very wonder and i've said that to these people and then watched it happen and you're just like it's nearly like unavoidable if if they're not choosing to hold themselves accountable and the issue within the spiritual world is exactly what you're talking about right this kind of like Oh, it's so great you're here. Oh, it's a male. Oh, look, he's so sensitive because he's doing spiritual things. Oh, I love him. It's so nice. I'm like, cool. We're not doing that to females ever, you know? Well, I mean, equally, you just look at general society and mm. when a man loses his wife, say to cancer, everyone's like, oh, let's make sure we invite him over for dinner and make sure he's got enough food. But when a, a woman loses her husband, it's not often to that mm. same extent. People don't need feel the need to mother a woman for, for losing her partner and, and sorry that was pretty like male female oriented I'm still learning about getting more PC but it, it does tend to happen like that it yes does. it really does yeah. yeah it is interesting and it is I mean it very much links to this topic right of awareness because it's coming from kind of so many generations and so much of our, our collective past and even collective trauma around this and the sort of the weird kind of imbalance of the pendulum doing this. And it's like awareness is what brings us into the center, right? To be able to have the sense of discernment and observation and just look at it and be like, actually, that doesn't sit right. Like, well, why am I doing this? Or why is that happening over there? And where do I stand? What are my values? And how do I choose to act? You know, like, can I, like that woman was like, but there was, there could have been a different action. And a lot of times we've talked to these men and they want to be the, the best versions of themselves. But if no one ever says anything, or the, only, know, like. or the only thing they say is praise. Oh yeah. my God, it's so amazing. Da, 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 da. And then, 
of course the it's going to go to the head it's going to it's going to inflate the ego it's going to deflate their desire to do more practice i have a theory um Love and, theory. and it kind of does generalize as we've been talking about um males because we all know it's not all males right mm -hmm. so um but the the there are types of people the people who have a tendency to become the dickheads get the big ego um look at me look at me um and then there's the other side who are humble and maybe not stepping into their power enough so when you are complimenting me on my humility i'm like but is that just because i'm not stepping into my power as much as i could because <laughs> uh, that's what I, I play with well you know there's that fear of stepping into like being a true power potential yeah. um so there's that kind of fine line of that balance of awareness that you're talking about um and either kind of going a little bit heavy on on the kind of more egoic side um and or the the other side and they probably both stem from exactly the same kind of insecurities yeah. um deep down that we that we brought up with 100 percent, and such such a good point you know like it, it totally is when it's just like i see people who are so confident and putting themselves out there and i'm like oh yeah i could do that and i was like yeah I'll do it tomorrow, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say to John that, but I have all of these, you know, skills and abilities and exactly that thing, but I'm just kind of not doing it. And then, yeah, like how we justify it to ourselves and, and what it is. And it, it is a part of the spiral. Like it's so hard and maybe, yeah, you know, when you're like that, you have to lean more into the ego and then there's all of this kind of cringe gripping factor because of what it represents at its most extreme. Um, it is very... Yeah, I can do it. I, I'll do it now and like be all loud. And then the, oh, but I'm a bit scared. And, you know, how many years has updating my website been on the list of things? And I'll get some proper photos done. And then I get to the, oh, I've got time to get proper photos done. Cool. Okay. Make a plan. What, what do I wear? I don't really know. Um, what do I want to convey? Oh, there's, all, there's so much to think about with this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like a lot of people I imagine that many of your listeners are, are similar where they r run a kind of a, a small business and they're practitioners of some sort mm. but the advertising and the marketing oh, oh. <laughs> gets like oh my <laughs> gosh so right oh, so I, mean, I still haven't I haven't yeah. had the photos taken because I put on weight and then I didn't want to have the photos taken because um because I felt a bit fat so you know I put it off again <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, did I go back down? <laughs> or it's like, oh, we've done photos and then like the weight changes and I'm like, well, we need to do them again because I can't use the fat photo from before if now I'm skinnier than I was then, you know? Like, maybe, okay, maybe I should just get onto it and, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, well, my hair's long at the moment, but my, my all my promo pics, my hair's kind of like chin length because that was a couple of years ago. And, it kind of, and, and oh, it's more silver now, but do I really want to share that with the world? <laughs> <laughs> and that comes back to that like youth worship, worship culture and, mm -hmm. uh, and the, the midlife unraveling. And I do want to slot in Unraveling Midlife, the podcast was named after Brene Brown's essay called um, The Midlife Unraveling. Ah, and yes. it is excellent that okay. it, it is i mean she has a way with words but it's really it's does. it's yeah. to the midlife people what i don't know back when it was email before social media the quarter life crisis 
email went around going, it's the quarter life crisis. And I think I got it at like 21 or 22. I'm like, yes. But I mean, I think life is a series of kind of what feels like crises until we gather that awareness to go, oh, it's just another crisis. Come along. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the crisis part of the spiral. Cool. cool. So I mean, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, yeah. chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Also, Jack Cornfield, really good Buddhist teacher. He's got oh, quite a cool podcast himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, the book that I got introduced to him by was called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. <laughs> Isn't that the tr The amount uh -huh. of moments you have on this path of just this euphoric, I'm amazing, it's, I'm so centered, you know, I'm so grounded and centered. And then the next day it's the complete opposite. And the amount of conversations we've had with people and students who are just so confused, you know, they're like, but... But I did it all, and now I've gone backwards. We're like, not backwards. This, this is it. Like, but for how long? I remember someone being like, is this just going to go on forever? I was like, yes. yes. I mean, I don't know, right? <laughs> like, I'm here still doing it. And they're like, no, but you're, you're spiritual. And I was like, not really. The same person then once we were there with a group of people, and I was really angry and actually just bitching about my neighbors. I was pretty raging, you know. They, they'd called the council on us for consent on something, as you do, because... We live in a world where we were renovating our house. And this just, I mean, we could have meditated every day, but that was stressful, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah. she, she said to me, she's like, I just, I just feel really like I don't know how to deal with you now because I thought you were spiritual, but you were so angry the other day at your neighbors. So you can't be spiritual. And I was like, no. I, or actually, I think I was like, no, I'm, I'm not very spiritual. You know, like that's probably a better way to think of me, to, to bring it down, you know, off that, that, that pedestal that you've created. It's like I'm a very rage-filled person. In fact, that's generally why I do practices, so that I don't go around just murdering people, you know. I'm like, I'm filled with rage. And that's this interesting thing, you know, on that journey as well of actually having to confront emotions. And emotions are so messy, you know, it's not just this euphoric state of I'm in this blissful cloud of my lotus leaf. It's like well, anger, the, frustration, irritation. Eight stages of grief and you go in this particular order and it always works that way. And at the end of it, you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> Rage, <laughs> frustration, sadness. <laughs> just... But people make a lot of money out of putting things in boxes and, uh, I mean, and, and telling people how it is. <laughs> I mean, coming back to Brene Brown, she is the queen of the list. Like yeah. six things that blah, 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 seven things that, and she, she has we a love to way with words. Oh, we yeah. love to read. We love lists. We love oh. boxes. We can't wait to get out of boxes, but we love putting oh. ourselves and others in boxes. It's love just the box. human condition, right? I mean, Isn't it amazing? You go on, you know, you're scrolling on Facebook and it's like, 10 reasons why you're having a spiritual awakening and you're like, oh yes, let me reason. Anything that used to start with a 10 reasons, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll read it, you know. <laughs> oh yes, that explains everything I've now happy. Like. <laughs> oh. I know yeah. it's not 10 reasons, but there was something that we were um, saying before. Um, I know that we moved off the topic of Kirtan in tradition versus modern, but um, <laughs> but what, what, what struck me was... Um, when, when I came back from overseas and I got involved with people here who were doing what felt like very, very traditional kind of Indian style, West, still Western, Kirtan, mm. um, I <clears throat> would get out my guitar because everyone played the harmonium and I'd get out the guitar and I'd start doing reggae beats and then we'd like have a really good oh, time so doing nice. reggae oh, beats. Oh, good. 
and um, and that was like breaking out of the shell. Mm. And then the Ketan scene changed, as we've discussed. Mm. And then suddenly everyone was doing like, you know, they were doing the reggae beats and the rock <laughs> things. And suddenly the Kawaipura Pura festivals went from having just kind of some more, some very Indian style, an undermaga and a bit of Shakti sacred music. And, and that was pretty much, you know, oh, and the um, Shabda, the, the Hare Krishna band from, mm -hmm. from downtown. There was like basically three. And then a few years later, there's like 20 Kirtan bands signing up to come <laughs> and, and play. And uh, and a lot of it's guitars and, and bass and, and kind of like quite rocky. And then I'm suddenly like, no, like where's the tradition? I have to do the traditional thing. I have to kind of counterbalance what's happening. Yeah. Um, and so then I became a little bit more traditional. And then I'm like, hang on, I kind of liked being the rebel. I'm yeah. not sure about this being the traditional. <laughs> I'm a traditional rebel. A yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And so then I kind of stopped doing quite so much Ketan. So whereas you're encouraging listeners to come to my Ketan, I, I better actually start scheduling some. <laughs> <laughs> harass her is what we're trying to say. Yes, I would I would totally her. agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is that thing, but you know, the scene changes and then you're sort of having to kind of sell something else it's like yes i am tr traditional and i rebel in a different way to what they're doing over there you know it's yeah. like a whole um and i'm not a man yeah not a man, not no. a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fascinating eh? i mean yeah i wouldn't and i'm in midlife you know I'm, I'm a woman over yeah. 40 like what hope is there for me left you know you just have to <laughs> wait. So much, Sarah, so much. do you just have to wait till you cross 60 and then you can come in as an elder mm. <laughs> yeah quite possibly quite possibly yeah. that's so true though it's like yeah. there's probably more you have to wait till older. all the hair goes gray and then you can come back in in a whole new way well, if I look at my mother, who's you know seventy one, I'm my she's still not all grey. So you know, I might have to wait till ninety for that comeback. Oh, okay, we'll see. Do you diet grey? Is that a thing? It is apparently. <laughs> yeah. Actually, people quite like they they. I've got a really nice Cruella Deville streak oh, really? just yeah. at my temples, um, yeah. and and some people go, "Wow, I really like that streak." And I, yeah, so do I. It's the other ones that are popping up all over the place that I'm really not that keen on. <laughs> Could you just stay in one place? This seems better. It has a youthful flair to it, you know. <laughs> I've, um, but then my friend, uh, who's younger than me, and said, "Oh no, I've I've been getting greys," and she had popped out a few, um, few beautiful little boys recently. She said, "Hair mascara, you've got to do hair mascara." And you know what? It makes it stay down. So, yeah, anyone who needed that mascara. tip, hair mascara. Never heard of it. That's amazing. It, you probably don't it need a it yet. Product, or you just put the I mascara have, in I your have hair. some greys. I just can't remember. Yeah, but your hair's light. It's not dark like mine. It is. I have to just <laughs> find them. Yeah. What am I? Thirty-seven. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Oh, you're just coming to the midlife unraveling. I'm coming to you. Bring me over. <laughs> what is what is the from the astrological perspective? What are the constellations relationship to birth time? What are the constellations you are looking for as the marker points? So, so good question. But I'm going to reframe the question Please for you do, because yes. um, because Western astrology, which is the one I study, doesn't technically use constellations. It uses the um, thirty degree segments. 12 of them around, mm, can't remember the word, but just kind of above the horizon. Yeah. Um, and it's, they don't necessarily correlate to the actual constellations that they're named after. 
Right. Because, you know, there's the people go, oh, but there's actually 13 signs and everything's moved. And yeah, that's, um, so for Western astrology, it's that that the old, the scientists who are the astrologers and the medical Mm. professionals, um, that their observation from where the planets were at the time of birth in those particular areas related to different themes. So Mm. the transits, um, so the zodiacal signs, uh, relate so, for example, they're quite generational. Pluto uh, is the first one that comes up. Um, so between the ages of thirty-five to thirty-nine-ish for our generation, mm. um, Pluto will come to ninety degrees from where you're born. And Pluto's kind of it goes back and forth every year. It kind of like appears to go backwards and then forwards. So it can take you know three or four years to move over that point that's ninety degrees to where it was when you were born. Um, so generationally, um, John, I'd say you and I, Pluto was in Libra, Nicole, it might still be in Libra, I don't know, I'd have to look up your chart. Um, so Pluto in Libra at a certain degree point means that Pluto's um, just finishing up in Capricorn. Um, so that's Pluto, uh, Libra to Capricorn is a 90 degree, it's called a square. So we call it Pluto square. So that can be quite big for some people. It was for me. Different generations, like my mother's generation, um, their Pluto square was a little bit later. It kind of mm. all went in with um, with Uranus opposition, which is another of, of the big ones, um, where Uranus comes to 180 degrees. So Uranus is currently in Taurus. Uh, it was in Scorpio, the opposite sign when I was born. Mm. Um, that's meant to be the big shake-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was interviewing Karen Hunter, her generation had Pluto and Uranus quite close together when she was born. So it was kind of like a double whammy <laughs> for them. Whereas, whereas for those going through it at the moment, it goes first Pluto, then Neptune square, which is Neptune, 90 degrees to where it was. Mm. Um, and so that's, I'm coming towards the end of that. That can be kind of like a spiritual fog, which hopefully by now towards the end will be lifting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the, then it'll be Uranus um, for me, the Uranus opposition. And then there's a Saturn opposition, which doesn't tend to be too much of a big thing because you've just been through all these real powerhouse ones. So the, the midlife crisis, that kind of classic go out and buy a sports car, mm. that's generally around the time of the Uranus opposition. So that could be, it's generally 42, does kind of depend. I've right been there. quite fascinated with, right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I've been quite fascinated with, Uranus tends to go like really fast and then it'll slow down and it'll appear to go backwards and it'll go backwards really fast. So um, I've got a friend three months younger than me who she has her Uranus opposition a year before me. I've got friends five years older. They've got the Uranus opposition two years before me. It's just, I find it quite fascinating just how mm. the planets move. And yeah, the, there's me getting my astrology geek out again. Love it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. just started this earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've also found it quite interesting. Like I've got a friend um, who's an incredible singer, um, Muriel, and I looked at her chart and, and just looking at different charts of the interplay between your birth of like the sun and Neptune and having a harmonious aspect there can really be um, musicians kind of have that. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, there's just really 
some quite fascinating, but it might not necessarily be the sun Neptune. Astrology is very much not an exact science. <laughs> yeah. So do you, like, if somebody can, wanted to have their, you to look at their chart, do you do that? I would say that I'm probably, I'm at the stage where if I have someone's chart, I can probably look at it and just tell them some stuff for five minutes, but I mm -hmm. don't think I, at this stage, I could sit down and, and do an hour with someone because it would probably take me four hours to prepare because I did actually start to do that as an example for um, for a friend to see how long it would take and what I would have to do. Um, so at this stage, I'm, I'm not really doing that. I can recommend mm. people though. There are some great people who've been working on it for a lot longer than me. It's one of those, you need to study it for quite some time. Yeah. But I'm seems, more than happy to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like learning learning a language so that you can you you can read the symbols and their relationships a lot faster. We've had some done before yes. where the um, the guy had oh, all well, the stuff, David Hoy. Yeah, yeah, all the stuff printed out, and we were looking at it like, how do you how can you do that? Yeah, yeah. All the symbols make sense eventually. I guess it's a bit like because I learnt Japanese and studied it at university, and I've lived there a couple of times, and. It's easy enough to learn the alphabet, but, and that's only like the two basic alphabets, like, not when you get into the Chinese characters as well, but then actually making sense of it all is, um, yeah. especially at any kind of pace. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my dad was studying Korean, he was really into languages. <laughs> um, he was teaching me as well. Uh, as we sat there, I think I was at high school and he was about to go off to Korea and he was showing me these flashcards of the Korean script, which is so much easier than the Japanese script because it was oh, wow. all based on um, shapes of tongue and teeth and and oh, wow. su was always like if if, a, if it was a sa or a se, there would always be this, would be the same mm. character or part of um, of the entirety of it and Japanese was certainly not like that. No. <laughs> John learned Japanese yeah, as well. Yeah, I studied high school. I didn't yeah, it was the thing when we were yeah. high school, right? Yeah. You learned Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, my son is doing it right now. He's 14. They still teach it. That's it. awesome. Yeah. I mean, he was just offered to go to Japan for three years. It's yeah, crazy. Three yeah. years. Yeah, not something we're accepting. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Imagine yeah. that. It has 14. its own challenges, especially for women. Mm. Mm. I mean, I assume it's changed a little bit. In the 20 years since I've lived there, but <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thank you so much. I've really loved. We've really been all over the place, yeah. And it was um, awesome, awesome to hear parts of your story and the things that you're excited about and your journey. Um, I remember you doing kirtan at Kawapurapura on the stage in the group, and it was very beautiful. So, I <laughs> hope I wasn't on a pedestal. <laughs> no, Sarah, just, just an equal stage where I was equally on the grass, not beneath, just, you know, alongside. <laughs> and it was a sunny day. It wasn't that one where it was, like, raining and we are trying to run the instruments out. Oh, my gosh. No, uh, I had nice weather, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did so many of those KP festivals that they all do really kind of start to blur into one another. Yeah. 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 Those were the days. Those were the days. Well, we do like future days will bring. Yes, we do like to close with your opportunity to kind of share final words plus anything you want to plug right now. And um, yeah, so the floor, Go on, stand in your the power. Floor is yours. Stand in my power. Maybe do your mm. hair, the hair mascara. Oh, yes. There. Get my hair <laughs> mascara out. I don't think I used it today. <laughs> Zoom's quite good like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just be yourself. 
everyone. Come to that place of acceptance, however hard that is and however much of a roller coaster it is, um, you'll always come back and it, it'll be okay. Uh, and if you want to listen to any musings with various people, um, mm. please feel free to tune in to Unraveling Midlife. Mm. I do share a bit of music. I'm challenging myself to share oh. original music uh, and sometimes I, go, I don't know what I'm going to play. Um, I'm still trying to learn how to record effectively myself. So sometimes it's a challenge for me to just release something even though it's not perfect because otherwise I would never do anything. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But yeah, so tune on into Unraveling Midlife. I'm hoping I will get on YouTube soon. It's, uh, it's on the podcast apps and on my website www.sarahmarlowspence.com and uh, I will make sure you know how to spell that yes. um, the yeah, other we'll thing that info in the show yeah so. the other the other thing that I mentioned that you might not have had a pen to write down was the Dalian method which is d-a-l-i-a-n the Dalian method yeah. yeah, and yeah, there's there's a couple of very late festivals um, in the autumn here in Aotearoa. I'll be making an appearance in some form or another at those, which may or may not have already been by the time you're listening. <laughs> and yeah, keep keep unraveling your life. Just don't be too hard on yourself. What? That's for those people. That's really for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's life. I often kind of joke around and go, "Oh, better luck next life." Um, yeah. But I, I think we're talking about, you know, having that awareness. And I'm like, actually, I don't think next life's going to be less of a roller coaster necessarily. So better luck in between lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or like on last Friday and Jupiter and Neptune had just kind of been, Jupiter had just kind of got, gone over Neptune and everyone's been talking about it for months in the astrology world that it's going to be big faith or like deep meditation. And I actually had the most amazing meditations and I thought, oh my God, how does it get better than this? Can I, what would it be like to have this every day? And, and then the next day I'm like, I can still feel the plug in the next day. I'm like, oh, an emotion came out. Can I still feel the plug into the universe? Yeah. <laughs> take me back. Yeah. Uh, no attachment though, eh? You know? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> Thanks guys. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, it was so awesome you. to have you on. And yeah, we are eternally grateful. And uh, yeah, hopefully talk again at some stage. Yes, I'm sure we will. <laughs> Given we talked so much about Kirtan in that interview, it would make sense to share some in the music part of the show, which I forgot to tell you about in the intro. So hopefully you stuck around this long and you get the secret song to listen to. I decided against Kirtan because I have shared a few recordings of Kirtan and trying to get good recordings that 
are uh, of the quality that I'm happy to share, and I'm getting better at just sharing, but um, trying to get uh, some kirtan that has a range of instruments, etc. Um, I thought, well, and I don't want to, I've already shared some in previous episodes uh, where it's been like a, a recorded, like officially, you know, produced kind of track. Um, so I decided to stick with mantra since we talked a lot about kirtan, which is singing mantra, uh, and share what I recorded in a very special place. It's called Tara Sanctuary at the stunning Mana Retreat on the Coromandel Peninsula in Aotearoa. And the Tara Sanctuary is a building designed using the Fibonacci series and amongst other building techniques. There's a bit, there's a, a booklet that they have down there that uh, that outlines it all that I was having a read of. And it has the most incredible acoustics. So because it's Tara Sanctuary, here's a Tara mantra uh, where the melody wasn't prepared, it just came. Enjoy. Om Tare, 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 Om T
Unraveling Midlife is brought to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand by www.sarahmarlowspence.com Theme music is by Sarah Marlow Spence and Saraswati Marie Willis and art by Samantha Hepburn. <laughs>